Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Sam Torres, Chief Digital Officer at The Gray Dot Company on the topic of digital consumer intelligence and how we can leverage data to prioritize what we build. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Sam Torres, a Chief Digital Officer and co-founder of The Gray Dot Company. Welcome, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is a great topic. We're talking today about digital consumer intelligence, what it is how we use it to leverage data to prioritize what we build. And we've heard a lot about you know, companies over the last decade that really started leveraging data to mm-hmm. help inform what they go and build and prioritize. But maybe, maybe before we jump into some of the meat of that, maybe you could start with your background, tell us more about what you, what you do and what, tell us about the Gray Dot Company. Sure. So Gray.Company, Company, we are a SEO strategic and technical agency, as well as we work in data and analytics. Uh, and then for my background, I've been in the field for over 13 years. Before that, I was a front end developer. Uh, so really love the mix of tech and data and people. So SEO just ended up being what I love to do and, and kind of what, what gets me up in the morning. So the birth of digital consumer intelligence or DCI really came from there's a lot of research that we typically do in SEO, uh, search engine optimization, so making sure you're ranking higher on Google and Bing. And my and partner, Yahoo. yes, yeah, well, DuckDuckGo, <laughs> right? Neva, yeah. uh, all of those. Um, but what we found is that SEO is doing so much research on the products, the services, what types of keywords are going to bring in the right kinds of audiences that didn't go anywhere else in the organization. So what we've done is uh, with DCI, and it's nothing new, it's more just about the application of that data. So we're able to, for example, assess, should you take a product line into a certain market by looking at search volume, what's going on on social, how many people are talking about it on YouTube and what's the sentiment behind it. So it's really just taking that research and applying it to other parts of your business. And like I say, it's just been, SEO is kind of put into a silo. Uh, we're a relatively new industry and discipline, right? So, you know, I've been in it for a very long time. So I still remember the days where people thought we just sacrificed goats to Google all day and really had no idea what we did. I still believe um, that. I'm a believer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, so I remember, uh, oh man, back in the day where you'd have like 200 versions of uh, the same page because you had to account for all the misspellings that mm. refrigerator still never makes sense to me as a word. But, uh, you know, like I said, there's just, we've been kind of siloed for so long. And when you let the SEO team or let some of that research actually trickle into other parts of the business, you gain some really fun insights. And everything that I just mentioned is really third party, publicly accessible data. That's not to mention when you combine it with your own first party, like if you've got a CRM, if you have usage data for your SaaS, you know, even just your own website usage data, 
there's a lot in there that can help you answer other questions and other parts of the business so that you're operating in a way that really makes sense and educates. Um, so it's like I say, it's everything from should I expand into a market? How do I reposition a product? Uh, how many customer service reps do I need based on the size of a market and how many customers I expect to have on the demand? Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a lot of really rich applications. You know, it just uh, conceptually, I know this is a very different thing, but it just, it, it made me think of, uh, you know, so back in uh, business school, learning about this uh, template called a house of quality. Basically what it is, is for like product development. It's, it's, it's this matrix that kind of is, is house shaped. Um, and the whole thing is you, you, you kind of add in the features that are, that are being built. You prioritize different things. It's a way of looking at, okay, of the, 30 things, the features that we're working on, what should we prioritize from these things? And most people will look at it was like, well, these three features are the most critical, like, okay, based on what? If you actually look at based on number of tickets into support, that could be one measurement uh, that uh, on that matrix. You could look at what will drive initial revenue, what will have deeper adoption for customers. All of these different factors that could be way each of those things different. And when then you step back and apply those things and look at it, it may not be the three features that you thought were the top priority exactly. based on, on that. It could be a lot of all these other factors and change what you go and build. It's why, uh, I, look, I work in the Microsoft ecosystem and a few years back, you know, Microsoft really put an emphasis around data scientists and hiring people to look at every aspect of what's happening from out on the internet and the market now that they're they've moved to you know evergreen software SaaS based solutions you know what are people actually buying what are they saying what is our support information you know kind of all of these other factors in driving decisions around the features that they release the timing of those features how they market those products i mean it's fascinating stuff but do we all does every company need to hire a data scientist to be able to interpret all that? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, now, also, I do love data science and I have many data scientist friends, so don't throw things at me. Um, mm -hmm. But there is a lot of that data available. And I love what you're talking about um, with the, what did you call it? The house of, house of quality. House yeah, of quality. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I got a marketing degree, so we didn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. well, that's what my undergrad is marketing as well, but it wasn't until business school that, that and look, I've never come across it in, out in the real world, but, but just, just that, that from the, you know, not the practical application, but just the theory of that, that, that concept. I mean, it just really, it stood out. Obviously that was, how many years ago was that? 24, 25 years ago. And it's still something that I think about, yeah. you know, around this space. Yeah, but I mean, I do think that's a perfect example because probably one of my favorite use cases we've ever done uh, was with a e-commerce retailer. They were trying to figure out what products should they start to carry. They wanted to expand their line. And we were able to do an analysis of Reddit and basically their current customers who have talked about them, what have they talked about that they want added? Uh, and well, as they say, the proof is in the pudding, the products, once they put them out, became some of their top sellers. Hmm. Uh, so just kind of recognizing who are your most loyal customers, where are they having those conversations? You know, like I said, that's, that's the type of research we would do often in SEO, but it doesn't often get 
into anywhere else in the business and that's really where the disconnect is um, but yeah it's there's so much information out there and you know the youtube api it's free to plug into you can crawl TikTok. like there's just so much information available there that people aren't harvesting and then with machine learning and ai tools we can we really can distill that data so much faster so you know i think about traditional market research projects take six nine 18 months right six months would be really fast yeah and they have usually really big ticket prices if you're if you're being really thorough and having a proper methodology the thing about these and like what keyword data gives us for example we can do these projects we've done them in as little as three weeks and then not only that but one of my favorite parts especially for anyone who has I'll call it a more sensitive topic. So let's say you're in healthcare or beauty or anything like that. People don't lie to Google. We don't lie to search engines. People lie all the time on surveys, right? It's one of my favorite anecdotes is that based on the surveyed and response of condom usage doesn't actually match up with sales in the United States. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, yeah. No, I was I, I was just thinking true. That statement too. So my my wife is a big fan of like those shows, like the first forty eight, the crime shows, and that that kind of stuff. And how many of those episodes where people, you know, it's uncovered like their search history? You're right; they don't lie to it. It's it it's uh yeah, people might want to be more protective of <laughs> well that's what i'm concerned too. about having these devices in my house that i don't want to say their names so they don't wake up and do something um sure. but uh, again assistant. what that's information what is being collected from those as well yes yeah, yeah but but that's just it like i i think about when i was a new mom the number of things i put into google that i was too embarrassed to talk about with my fellow mom friends right it's just it's you're able to get to the heart of the intent, the motivation of users um, because, you know, we have seen in the past where there's almost an issue with you can be anonymous online, but it means we're actually getting some of the, the true spirit and true intent uh, so that we can figure out really what are the products and services that will fit them and how do we get them in front of our target. So that's that's uh, I was going to ask like what the objective of DCI is. It's like getting you kind of just stated it. It's to get at the heart of what the consumer, the customer actually wants, needs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not what they're asking for because I again like like search. A problem with search is that search is limited by are you using the right words, the right terminology to find the thing that you actually need. So when search is, that's why I'm excited about things like ChatGPT to be able to uh, um, wrap natural language around a search and in context and be able to do follow-ups and, you know, and refiners to your question and get a much more accurate result to the search experience. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so that's something uh, we work with a lot of SaaS companies. Uh, so that's often a problem because I'm sure you're familiar. A lot of SaaS companies are introducing new types of technologies or you know, they're not always disruptive, but maybe they're doing something different that nobody has coined a term for it yet. So they're trying to figure out how do I position this? How do I tell people that there is a solution to this problem? And usually, you know, for, for search, the answer to that is, well, we need to go a step 
up and figure out what are the frustrations, right? Because people might go into Google and say, my email won't work, it's getting blocked, error code, and, and they have no idea that what they actually need is this type of server protection or there's some authentication that's not working because why would you know that okay. as a consumer? So, you know, there are a lot of times we have to move a step up, but what I found also sometimes working with these customers is, you know, they have this one group in mind and then it's like, actually, there's a whole nother application for your service based on this other frustration and need that you hadn't identified because it's not what you need or it's not the group that you talk to, right? SaaS companies are usually a bunch of engineers trying to make development easier and there may sometimes be other ways to, to make that really sing. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's really the power I think is, and you talked about it earlier of being able to challenge anything that you went in at first and also to help mold and understand where your customer is instead of trying to get your customer to meet you you can meet them where they are and that's really the power of digital overall right it is really just being able to do that but it's really fun uh, we've had some really interesting problems content programming for a streaming services like what types of themes should they create content around? That one was really fun uh, just for viewership. So yeah, it's it's got all kinds of crazy applications and, and well, I'm a nerd, so crunching all the numbers is really fun. Well, that's, you know, one of the things I, be, being a, you know, content creator and being a, a you know, evangelist within my tech sphere that I, that I work in, uh, and I often, you know, provide, you know, content marketing advice to a lot of you know, technical people that are creating content, things that are out there. And I know some people that are very successful with their content creation. They do a very few pieces that are highly refined, well thought out, well planned out, but fewer pieces that are where they've gone in and they've done the SEO research. So they know that people are searching for this information. Here's the questions that they're asking. And so they'll make sure that they infuse all those things together. And, and I said, you know, that's fine to go and do that. If your goal is and to grow that and do other things, but don't forget that there are some questions that no one is yet asking, but they should. There's some, I mean, that you think of like a pure R&D efforts. They're out there creating because not, not that they're trying to, uh, uh, you know, find a, uh, a, a customer for a solution that they built. That, that's a different problem. Mm -hmm. um, but the pure R&D, the, the pure uh, like going in, uh, uh, you know, uh, identifying, um, uh, you know, small niche areas and answering those things like SEO would love it if I only did like on my blog, if I did nothing but productivity tip articles. I wrote a blog post like four years ago. It's still in my top five. I don't know mm -hmm. why. It's old versions still, but people find it, they love it, they comment on it. I don't know why it's always up, sometimes number one. I'm thinking, what did I fail in this month? Because that four-year-old article is still popping up there. It's great that they found it. And if I did nothing, if I wanted just to build my site that way, I could go build content, that same kind of content around those topic areas. It would bore me to tears. Sorry, folks that are in the exchange world. I'm sorry, I'm not excited by email, sorry. You know, but, um, occasionally I write about it. Um, but there almost needs to be that, that I, I used to refer to as the, the creative destruction process where you're, um, you're going, you're stirring it up, you're changing that you're directing people to something because I'm an expert in certain areas 
you know, it's not about primed for, you know, optimal SEO. I'm going to write about it because there's not an answer out there. I know the answer. I think I know the answer. I want to share this that's out there. Maybe it'll become huge, but more often than not, I'll look at a blog post like that, that gets in six months, gets, you know, 50 people reading it versus the other one that gets, you know, 1200 reads every month, four years later. Um, so I, I don't know how you, I'm sure you adjust for that within your models too of, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Um, and yes, we definitely see those problems. So for me as an SEO, I actually would recommend what you're talking about as kind of the second method of write about what you know and only you know. Now we're seeing, you know, right now with ChatGPT, AI, everything that's going on, people are using it to produce content. The problem that they're having with that content, if you're not adding in a layer of curation, is that you're not saying anything new. Right. It is regurgitating, right? It is just putting it together for you. And sure, it has different sources. One of my pet peeves about ChatGPT is you can't get the sources, but that's a topic for another day. There's other tools out there, but even then it depends on when it was trained. And a lot of it, like ChatGPT is two years old. Exactly. And that people forget that. And so, I mean, that's that's why I think the enterprise application is so powerful, being able to go in and tap into, like with in, uh, working in Microsoft 365, the space, the Microsoft graph, being able to to tap into LinkedIn data and, and all that stuff that's near real time, however often they, they go and feed that. So there's, I, I think that's a whole world that people aren't even aware of yet is that you've got the public libraries and then you've got the, the private you definitely do. Um, and yeah, that's one thing I always do like to, you know, when we're doing search research, so we're looking at what are the search trends, that's all based on historical. If I want to be able to project or try to guess where the market is going, that's always going to be on social. Hmm. And right now it's TikTok. Personally, I can't stand TikTok, but I have to be on TikTok that's, well, because that's because you, you start watching something and you get sucked in and then and you think I've been watching this for 10 minutes and look down. It's been four hours. Yeah, no, it definitely not, happens. And their algorithm is so good. Mm. They really yeah. get to the content that you would engage with very quickly. Um, but, you know, there there is kind of that understanding of search is historical. So, and to your point, a lot of the AI tools, they are being trained on older content. Um, one of the other things I don't like is I don't really know what content they're being trained on. So we can't, as marketers, know what bias is already built in. Right. So if you for anyone who's interested in playing with machine learning and starting to do like topic modeling, topic clustering and kind of starting to build your own database, uh, Cornell actually offers a bunch of tools for free to build your own models. You feed it yourself. Hmm. Uh, I love using that because, you know, I am human. Anything I build, there's going to be bias, but I can at least try to control it a little bit more or I can already account for what that's going to be. Right, because I know that my bias is that it's, you know, English is my first language. It's going to have those kinds of notes in it where we don't have, you know, feminine, masculine nouns. So we're not, you know, I could, again, I could get into the ethics, but it's just kind of in there. Mm -hmm. uh, so highly recommend that. But yeah, the, the use of those tools is making accessing this data, getting insights out of it faster than ever. Uh, and, and access to it is 
you know, like, as you said, there's a ton of public data sets. And then if you combine that with your own first party data that only you have, mm -hmm. and, you know, not everybody's going to have something as rich as the Microsoft ecosystem, but man, you can do a lot and really get to, as you were talking about before, what product features are actually going to move the needle for you, right? It probably won't be what the head engineer is fighting for. And I say that married to an engineer and nine times out of 10, what they fight for isn't what's actually going to change the needle. So yeah. it's interesting. I, I'm, you know, I'm interested too that, that there's, I mean, so much about this technology is changing. I mean, a few years back, um, so really good friend of mine uh, who's now at Microsoft, uh, Naomi Moneypenny, so on the product team, and she used to present at one of her uh, sessions that she used to give at, at community events, and she would talk about the company Zara and how then did that the, that whole fast fashion model. I don't remember the the exact, um, so I'm going to, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but it's like they would go from design, like pen on paper design to product in a store in like 30 to 45 days or something ridiculously Whoa, fast okay. like that. Yeah. So they would know, you know, people coming in, what was being purchased, the differences in purchasing patterns from different uh, stores in different regions. You can have stores across town that might have very different products because um, might be slightly wealthier area on the, the one side of town, the north side and the south side, it's, you know, it, 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 different styles. And so they would... So how quickly they could change and adapt to that. I mean, I even think of going back where I learned about going back into business school in the 90s uh, about Walmart, how you always wonder, like you're standing in line at Walmart but before you're checking yourself out. So I'm busy and I don't look at anything in the aisles now because I'm busy bagging my own stuff. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you go but you go into uh, any store, Target, Walmart. Walmart used to be like the case study and you look at in the checkout aisle, like all these bizarre combination of products. Like, you know, there's the gum and breath mint kind of stuff and sodas. And then there's some little kid things. There's, you know, I remember I commented to my wife, we were shopping and there were adult diapers like on display, like in the checkout. And I'm like, like, and I'm then looking around and I'm like, okay, I guess they know the audience here. I, uh, you know, but, but looking at that kind of data, but it was, those are kind of the precursors to what we're talking about. And they were so advanced. It was talked about in business schools, those case studies, you know, Zara with their fast turnaround, that manufacturing to the local stores and the, you know, hyper specialization of the various stores. I don't know if they're doing well or anything now, but I just, from mm -hmm. a technology standpoint, I mean, that was just fascinating to me. Um, and to what Walmart did now, I mean, most companies can have a version of that. You absolutely can. So, so I want to ask you, um, so what are your primary methods of collecting the information? And specifically, I'm interested to know, like what organizations should be thinking about doing? Like, can they, do they have to go hire third party, bring experts in to do that? Or what can, what can they be doing? Should they be doing as far as collecting information about their own transactions, activities, whatever those things are. Sure. So the things that people can do themselves relatively easily, I think, um, even if you don't have a data science degree, is definitely farming through call logs with salespeople, customer service, 
Uh, you can even feed those into a transcript service and then have, you know, AI count the number of times a certain feature is described, right? There are tools that make that really easy. So that's going to be like a really simple case. Uh, if you want to start to have uh, you know, getting into the social, then usually you probably need a developer to help because you are going to need to be able to tap into the API. Uh, mm -hmm. They also change pretty frequently. Uh, so. And with like Twitter, they now charge for it as well. You know, yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So there usually are some costs, you know, if you're trying to get into the Google search API, you eventually run into quota limits, things like that. Uh, but certainly one of the things that SEO uses all the time, your, your Google Search Console data and your Bing Webmaster Tools data. There's a ton of keyword data in there that can kind of show you how are people getting to my site? Does that give me ideas of how I should change my product roadmap, right? Your marketing team, it's probably already looking at that. It's really about have you sent it across the aisle to product. Uh, so those are some of the ways that people can kind of do it themselves in-house if you're looking for a bigger project so you say you've got a big product roadmap you want to qualify it if you're trying to figure out where the markets are to support you if you're trying to really identify where your customer is um, a lot of times that does require us to tap into a few different places but so far my favorite i guess scenarios uh, we've always used search volume and trends and then plugging into TikTok and YouTube. The content that's just in that in the video is incredible. And what we're able to pull from those is not only what is the video talking about, how many people have watched it, right? We can get all those usage statistics, but then also if we narrow down in on a specific topic, I can pull all of the videos that are talking about that topic, pull the comments associated with them and run sentiment analysis to then further understand, all right, this song about bath time for babies, people wish it included something about cleaning between the fingers. Really weird, but an actual example of something mm. we did. So uh, yeah, it just gets really fun and interesting as far as the insights that you can pull there. I also really love to pull from Reddit. It's just such a treasure trove of real customer sentiment. I would say that generally works more for B2C. It works less for B2B, um, yeah. but LinkedIn too, you can do a ton of stuff. Yeah. So those are some of my favorites, but. Yeah, it's, uh, I was gonna say Reddit is another one of those places where like uh, with, with the search engines where people tend to uh, not have filters for, for a lot of yes. that. It, it, it can be interesting. So if you're new to the Reddit world, like it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I I think for certain brands especially, um, go in prepared, you know, uh, thicken the skin for some of the conversations around it. But if you want, again, that unfiltered feedback that you're not getting, I mean, asking people for a review of your product or service is it's painful. Um, and, and while um, it can be painful to find your company in the middle of an, a, a not very positive discussion happening on Reddit. I mean, you'll get great insights into where the gaps are in your business or your product. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, I mean, frankly, as a business owner, I'd rather know the conversation is going on than not. Yep. Uh, and and I would even also say sometimes, you know, there are brands that obviously have their own subreddits. You know, Microsoft has a subreddit for each product. Uh, yep. If you are not that large or don't have that kind of clout. 
you can still find the subreddits that are about your space and your industry. And sometimes you will find your name. You know, we've also had times where our clients, you know, we started with them and it's like, hey, you're not being mentioned in these conversations at all. That tells us right. you need to get into PR and you needed to do it yesterday. Well, that's an important part of it because I know there are services that are out there that you can set up basically and open, you know, a, 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 a query on your brand and certain keywords and you can monitor. So to, to your last point, it can monitor like, hey, there's a conversation happening about your main competitor. You might want to go in and be there in that con that conversation. Totally. And uh, yeah, as a former chief evangelist, they, they tried to, a couple of companies tried to suck me into that that world and i mean that there's that you know it, like sure if i don't have actual work to do and sit there all day and do that i'd rather automate it than be yeah. sitting there trying to monitor for that stuff and respond to everything but oh that used to be one of my favorite uh you know unfortunately twitter is going through a little bit of a turbulent time as we all know but that used to be one of my favorite things to do with twitter campaigns you just trigger the ad based on keyword yeah they're super powerful because um, you get to insert yourself in the conversation in real time. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's some pretty fun stuff. Well, I know, again, there are some very robust tools out there that do the SEO analysis that will go and do, I think, to some degree across this, the search. And there's some that are better than others. Um, there are some, uh, you know, happen to have, my son works for a marketing agency, and they have a couple tools. What was that one called? It was either Sumo or Surfer or something or other. Buzzsumo? That started with an S. Is it Sumo, the stuff? Mm -hmm. And uh, and stuff that they use and a very expensive tools that they paid for, but they're like, it is just fantastic. You want it, if somebody breathes on your brand, it flags and notifies you. you know? Yep, yeah, <laughs> no, it is good. Especially for, you know, we work with a lot of regulated industries. So yeah, those, those usually are required for the reputation management and PR. Um, but yeah, really, it's just there's so much information out there and people, you know, departments aren't collaborating. They're not sharing it across the aisle. Um, and it's just it's sitting right there for you to take it. So. Well, it, there's so I'm advising a, a another startup right now. And I just they're, they're, they haven't been thinking about all the data that's been collected there. I said not. I said they're they're in highly regulated. They're in the healthcare space. Mm -hmm. I said not that you're going to go and and sell the data, but there's so much that you can anonymize and do and partner with other firms and get data in return for exchanging anonymized data around patient health and this to be able to look at some of the patterns. And and I just my recommendation was like you need to have somebody as an advisor or an employee that's a data science person that can help you curate this data and do something with it. It could be another uh, you know, revenue stream for a lot of organizations, depending on what, what you're collecting, um, but, but also just better serve your customers, better meet their needs by understanding how are they actually using your products and services. Yeah, it's, 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 I know that a lot of people struggle with the difference between you know, consumer intelligence versus consumer analytics. You know, so and I look at it as it's like the action versus just the passive looking at the reporting mm -hmm. versus doing something with it. It's like we would always talk a few years ago, the phrase, the catchphrase was digital transformation. Well, most people interpreted that as well, just upgrade my software. Like, no, 
it's yeah. unfortunate that it became this just generic phrase that people would use. No, it was it was much deeper, much of a harder question to answer of, you know, are you best leveraging the technology that you have? Can you do better with, with what you have today or with newer things? And how will that change and optimize your customer experience, your employee experience? Mm-hmm. And that was lost on the vast majority of of companies. Oh, I agree. Yeah, that's a that was a hot keyword for a minute. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, and part of you know it, it's interesting you bring that up because part of the digital transformation movement was getting access to more of that data to do something with it. So you have a lot of companies now in these digital ecosystems, and I'd even argue some companies that probably weren't served better by moving everything to the cloud, right? It, mm, it is yeah. not the end all for everybody. And, but because of that, they do have this data, they have access to it. And I agree with you that the intelligence versus the analytics, it really comes into the analytics is just the hard data. It's indisputable, it's there, it's the numbers. The intelligence is how are you going to apply that? How does it answer any of your business questions? Um, that's really it's it's the application of the data and doing something. So I I'm 100% on the same page that it's that's where the nuance is is I can have analytics. Am I doing anything with it? Is when it kind of becomes that intelligence. And a hard part of that too is that you know you're asking questions initially. I'm assuming it's an iterative process because probably what you're actually trying to you help customers shape to are they even asking the right questions that they should about their customers. What's, what does your methodology look like? How do you work with a new customer? What's your, what's your approach to somebody that knows they need this help, they want this, this focus, but they're not sure where to start? Uh, so we've really had a blend of both. So I do have some customers that come to me and they've got a very specific question. Uh, like one was a, um, a pretty well-known chain with a restaurant, uh, you know, their question is, should we maintain this style of restaurant or should we have a new cuisine? So the first part to that was, how are you in your space? And then the research into kind of like this open ocean vast, like, all right, what's the opportunity based on that? So that client kind of, you know, they came with a specific question and then their follow-up was much larger. So that's usually where we're able to, you know, if you have a specific question, those are really easy to quantify and say like, all right, this is what we're going to go after. When it's someone who's just like, I want to know all the possibilities. Obviously, that's a really, that that can be a really large project. So then we start really. Uh, uh, sometimes I like those blank check requests, though. I uh, do too. <laughs> uh, but often yeah. they're not as blank as you thought they were. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? they, they're never as blank as they were. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so then you start going into, and at least the way I approach it is we start distilling down to, okay, what's actually going to like, if, if you're talking about what type of cuisines, all right, based on your staff, what's even an option? Cause having like, is your chef really well, well versed in all forms of cuisine? I'm going to call probably not. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go into what are the requirements of the business? What are the parameters and the limitations to help us kind of narrow down? And then also start narrowing down into where are the sources that we're going to get this information? So like for this project, uh, the best sources would be looking at OpenTable. 
what restaurants are getting booked immediately in LA and which ones wait till last minute, right? That that can help you kind of discern is there a is there a trend there on the cuisines? So uh, yeah, it, it starts with distilling down and, and taking in the business limitations when it's that wide open project. Uh, and then going into what's really going to be the best source of information, because as you said, blank checks, uh, there's always a limit. And these research projects, like most, could never end. So we have to figure out when do we get to that 80% that we feel like we have enough data to make a good decision, but it would double our effort to get the last 20. That's where I'm going to stop and say we, we've got what we need to do to be a little bit smarter. Um, we're never going to have all of it because well, that but but that's true. That here's another thing that I remember from my MBA program was uh, had it, one of my professors that talked about like the like the, the one of the goals of management is getting enough information to make a decision, not all of the information that's required, but enough for you to make and based on your experience and based on that to make a decision to to move forward. Because if you're not moving forward, if you're not trying something, learning from it failing sometimes succeeding others uh, you're not going to make progress you're not going to be learning so you know those com companies those organizations and we've all worked for some of those and i've had some very frustrating experience where they could not make a decision because there was never enough data and so they never took a step forward mm -hmm. you know and, and they lost repeatedly to competitors because they there's like they, they're so fearful of making the wrong step and i I think that's part of what, uh, you know, again, I, uh, you know, looking at this kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, consumer intelligence of what's actually happening is that, by the, the whole fail fast, trying things, iterating, gives you more information. So as you iterate, your the, you learn more about that. Your decisions get better. Yeah, yeah, and that that is one of the plus sides of these projects because, as I said before, they take three to four weeks. You know, the, the quickest we've done one was definitely three weeks. Uh, I prefer not to do that to my team, so I usually give them four. Uh, and it's about the tenth of a cost of a traditional marketing research survey. And so it's just for a lot of companies, for ten to $30,000, you can have a well thought out plan of your product growth or market expansion and really be able to move confidently instead of just going based on somebody's gut, which I'm not going to discount the gut. It's a great thing, but mm -hmm. having the data to really support it as well. Yeah, I want that all day, every day. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it, this is a, it's a fascinating area because it is, I mean, it's wide open and you, uh, do you specialize in any industries or do you work with clients across the, you know, so kind of we specialize or... with uh, SaaS and funded tech, uh, regulated industries, and uh, just passion projects of nonprofits. Um, but yeah, usually we do work with the more technical, the more nuanced. Uh, we do have some, but but it kind of spans across. So we have e-commerce clients, we have B2B, we have B2C. Uh, it's really just about, we love to work with embedded teams. So I'm usually partnering with marketing teams. We're not going to be their end-all be-all. Um, we're working with them, leveraging what they have internally because we are a small and nimble shop. And frankly, I don't want to have that giant agency that's run by interns. And yeah, that's I have no interest in that. Yeah. So yeah, we, we kind of span across. Um, but yeah, the working with compliance teams is kind of like 
I don't know if I should question my sanity, but I kind of love it. Like getting to know what you can say and what you can't and how you need to position the messaging so that you're not getting into legal hot water. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, so again, I, I, I'm, I'm a technology governance guy. And so I very much believe in uh, as best you can uh, outline the guardrails and then let people go crazy in, in there. You don't, you, you don't control what they do within that, but you have to have the boundaries in place so mm -hmm. that all that innovation and all of the, the creative juices are going in the right direction. And you're not, you're going to be compliant. You're going to be, you're going to meet the regulatory standards, depending on the industry that you're in, that what, what you do. But, uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy that, that side of it too. Yeah. Working with compliance teams. I don't know. I've worked with different compliance teams and had different experiences, but I don't think I'm you're entirely crazy for like been fun. But when you get on the same page, hmm. the rush that comes like, yes, we had a productive conversation. Hallelujah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Well, Sam, really uh, appreciate your time today. And for folks that want to find out more about uh, Gray Dot Company, uh, you know, what's the best way to I mean, go into the website, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, again, you know, different kinds of companies that you're looking for. What's your your quick elevator pitch for people to reach out and find out more? Sure, so uh, definitely, like you said, go to our website, thegray.company. Uh, we're also pretty active on Twitter at gray.co and LinkedIn. And as far as our target customers, as I said before, mid-size to enterprise, we love to work with embedded teams. SaaS, regula regulated industries, and nonprofits are really where our specialties are. And it's really about that strategic technical SEO. So if you have a complicated stack, we're really the team you want to work with. And then also figuring out the data, what's really going to work for you, how do you make good business decisions, that is where our specialties lie. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time and uh, th thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published on most Fridays, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.